So good to see you today. It's a wonderful day. Excited to be here at, at the theater. Excited to continue in the series that we've been in called Practically Spiritual. And in this series, what we've been looking at and exploring is the uh, ways that we can access God. And, you know, we've said this every week, but I really think it's important to say that as much as we want to have a relationship with God, as much as we might want to connect with God, God wants to connect with you and I at an entirely different level. So much more than we could ever desire Him, He desires us. And that is revealed to us so very clearly in the person of Jesus, that God, uh, in the mystery of the incarnation, put himself into human flesh. The Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came and was born uh, of a woman and came into the world, lived a, a sinless and perfect life, and then offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And that's what we celebrate as Christians, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? Gave himself as an offering for us, and that by trusting in Jesus for our salvation, our relationship with God could be restored. Come on. Being a Christian is not just about going to heaven when you die, right? Being a Christian is about having a relationship with God. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, that veil that separated the world from God's presence was literally torn in two from top to bottom, which was indicating that God was saying, I'm open for business. You can have access into my presence. And Jesus is the evidence, the proof to each and every one of us that God's love is so much deeper for you and for me than we could ever have for God, right? Our, our deepest prayer, our deepest time in God's Word, our most sincere times of devotions where we're seeking God and, and, and searching out His ways and pursuing Him pales in comparison to what God did for us already in sending us His Son, Jesus. And so for those of you that maybe have in the past felt like God was unreachable or hard to connect with or maybe He was hiding from you or angry with you, I want you to think about this truth that in Jesus, God said, I want you more than you could ever want me. Come on, I want you more than you could ever want me. And last week we started talking about this thing called prayer, which very simply is communication with God, access to God. Communication is both speaking and it's also listening. How many men in the room, your wife wants you to li listen to this and learn this right here, right? Yeah, men, your wife's like, you don't listen to me. And she's right, guys, you know, because we're like, what? You know? And uh, women want that, the connection. And God wants that connection with us. It's not just talking. Prayer is not just, hey, God, it's me. I'm here. I need this. I need this. This is my list. Uh, I don't like that person. They stink. God, could you kill that person and get rid of them? Uh, Lord, could you eliminate this person? And God, give me a million dollars today and a pink Cadillac. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what a lot of times people think of as prayer, right? Everything I need, and that's it. And I, I sort of, you know, fill all the space that's not what communication is. That's not what prayer is. It's both speaking, yes, but it's also listening. Prayer is communication with God. It's access to God, provided to us by the work of Christ on the cross, that he opened up a relationship with God to us. But for many people, prayer is an intimidating thing. You know, you hear a pastor say, oh, we, we need to pray we need to seek God. We need to, to be in prayer. And a lot of people say, well, I just simply don't know how. We talked about that last week a little bit, just the intimidation factor. One of the best ways to get over the intimidation factor in the area of prayer is to have a great coach, a great teacher, right? Somebody to show you the way. I remember when I was playing soccer at a really high level. It was the Rogue Valley, you know, K-13 soccer or whatever. Uh, basically just one step below World Cup level soccer. <clears throat> No, it was a few steps, all the steps below. But anyways, I was playing in our, 
our youth rec league, and you know, I'd played for a couple different coaches, and then I remember, and, and we actually a cool connection here, Kelly Finley's dad, Jim, was one of my coaches. Pastor Jim and Pastor Steve were our two coaches, and they were pastors on Sunday. On, when, on Saturday, when it was soccer time, they were not pastors. They were like, oh! But anyways, I was just my dad, actually. I don't know if that was, her dad was always pretty sweet and nice. But I remember playing, playing soccer, and, and I'd had a couple different coaches, and we'd won some games, lost some games, and, you know, we had the coaches, well, it's all about having fun, and as long as you get some exercise. And then all of a sudden, my dad became our coach. And my dad, he never met a game he doesn't want to win. And uh, he's a highly competitive guy, and he's a winner. And so he coached these young men, I was part of this team, into a lethal goal-scoring, goal-saving machine of victory out there on the field. And so I remember my dad had these awesome slogans as a coach. He'd say, it's always hotter for the losing team. And he'd scream it out. You know, in Medford, it was like 110 degrees, and we're up by 17 goals. And he'd say, it's always hotter for the losing team. And we'd cheer, yeah, right? (laughs) And he had his little coach slogans, you know, don't kick the ball in the middle. There was all these different things that we were to do. And I don't think our strategy was highly advanced, but we were highly motivated. And I remember that for a period of time, we were undefeated for, I think, three entire seasons. And we didn't just win by like one goal, two goal. We would win by 10 goals, 12 goals. I mean, it was out of control. And we were a victorious team. But a coach made all the difference. Because our coach had confidence in us, because he, he, he coached us in a, an effective way and he motivated us, we had this confidence that we were unbeatable. And I want to share with you today that you can have a confidence in your prayer life, in your communication with God, with the right coaching, with the right teaching, you can have a confidence and be unbeatable in the area of prayer with the right coaching. And who would be the best teacher in the world on this? Well, I can tell you right now, it's not me. It's Jesus. Thank you. And that is the answer to every question at church, in case anybody was like, (laughs) you know. It's it's like being in Sunday school, you know. Who died for your sins? Jesus. Here's a cookie. We're just programmed from a young age, you know. (laughs) Who loves you more than anyone? It's Jesus. Here's a cookie, right? And and, uh, Jesus is the right answer to every question, so that helps you to just feel secure in this environment. But Jesus is the greatest teacher, the greatest coach in the area of prayer. And in two parallel passages of Scripture, in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, will you teach us how to pray? Jesus, will you coach us in the area of prayer? And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, we get this window into the locker room uh, to see Jesus coaching his disciples in the area of prayer. Do you want to jump in here with me? How many of you would love to get into the locker room at an Oregon Ducks game at halftime, especially this season with Coach Taggart? I know that guy's going to rip those guys up. You know what I mean? He's going to get in there and we're going to win. And uh, I'd love to get in there, but we can get in the locker room with Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and it goes like this. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, someone who wears a mask, someone who's a pretender. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They have their reward. But you, when you pray, now listen, Jesus is coaching his guys right here, okay? He's coaching his guys. He's saying, listen, I'm I'm coaching you up in the area of prayer. Don't be like the hypocrites. But when you pray, and I want to draw our attention to something. It's not if, it's when. As followers of Jesus, 
Or maybe you're here and you're a prospective follower of Jesus. You thought you were coming to a movie called Joy Church and you got stuck in here and you're too embarrassed <laughs> to leave. But as, but as followers of Jesus, it's not if I pray, it's when I pray. Okay? It's not if, it's when. And Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The first thing that Jesus is coaching these guys on is he's saying, look, don't pray for show. If, you're, if your prayer is for people to see you pray, if it's about how other people view you, I'm so religious as I pray, listen to my prayer voice. Why do people have a British accent when they start praying? You know, I deeply desire to have a real British accent, but I don't put on a British accent when I pray. Because I think having a British accent makes you cooler and sound smarter, right? But a lot of people, you know, dear Heavenly Father, I come before you. Thou hast will bless my endeavors. You know, and Jesus says, look, don't do it for show. Don't pray for show, because if that's what you're doing, then that was your reward. In other words, you're, you're sending words up to God. You have an open hotline with the creator of the universe. But your reward will just be that other people saw you doing something religious. So if that's your motivation for prayer, you're going to miss out. And he says in verse 7, he goes on, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Jesus coaches us more and coaches his disciples. Look, it's not how long or how many words you can throw out there in prayer. You know, I... I, was, I grew up in church, and I remember being in the prayer circles. It's a weird thing that we Christians do sometimes. And we stand in a circle. We did it today. You know, we hold hands, and somebody goes, man, your hands are cold. I'm like, yeah, warm them up for me. That's, that was my secret agenda. But it was Tom, right? Kind of creepy. But anyways, <laughs> we're standing in the circle, and, I, and, and you hear somebody pray this way. Dear Jesus, Father, God, Jesus, Father, Jesus, God, Father, God, Father, is he coming? No. Jesus, we just pray, God, Jesus, that you just come, Jesus, God. And, the, and there's so many words. And Jesus says, look. That's not how you talk to your friends. I, I don't come, Matt, Matt, friend, friend, Matt, friend, Wilkes Drive, Matt, hey, Matt, good to see you, Matt, plays bass, Matt, you got a beard, Matt, what's up, Matt, good to see you, Matt, good, hey, buddy, hey, hey, gonna get a bid, gonna get a bid, amen, auction, you know. <laughs> now, I'm not criticizing you if that's how you learn to pray. Thank you. I'm not criticizing you, but that's not how we talk to each other, unless you're an auctioneer, and then feel free to pray that way. And Jesus says, look, it's not how much you say. It's not the quantity of your words that makes effective prayer. In verse 8, he goes on, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In other words, our prayer is not for God to know what we need. He already knows. Our prayer is our connection with God for us to express, communicate, to speak, to listen to God. God already knows what we need. And then Jesus goes on, and this is, just a, an amazing passage of scripture, and he's coaching and teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, in this manner, therefore, pray. In light of all the things I've just coached you on, guys, this is how you should pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How many of you have heard these, this word before? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I counted it last night, and by my count, at least in the New King James Version of the Bible translation, there's 66 words in the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. 66 words. Again, this is the greatest coach, the greatest 
prayer warrior, the greatest man of prayer that ever lived, ever will live. I mean, he's Jesus. It's perfect. And he said, 66 words gets the job done. 66 words, guys, will win the, the game in this area of prayer. 66 words. Our Father in heaven. And those are such amazing words. Such an, it's such an incredible prayer. But we're going to unpack this and open this up and look at the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, Jesus' Prayer that he gave us, and see it as an effective model for prayer. And let's look at the sequence here. I want to give you the four W's here. I think we'll put them up on the screen. But there's four W's here in this prayer. Number one, there's worship. It starts with worship. Number two, the word will, and we'll cover all these. Number three, welfare. And number four, warfare. The four W's, worship, will, welfare, and warfare. Now, the order of this prayer that Jesus gives us to pray is very important. And you can pray the Lord's Prayer as it's written. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, thy kingdom come, your will be done. You can just pray through it. That's awesome. If that's where you start, that's great. But actually, this is a template for prayer. It's something that kind of gives us an approach to God in in the area of prayer. These are the things that, that are vital. And the order of this prayer is very important. It starts with God, not us. It starts with God. It starts with worship. Let me tell you how my kind of natural prayer usually starts. Hey, God, it's Jake. I need X, Y, Z, right? Hey, God, it's Jake, and I really messed up again, dot, dot, dot. I'm not talking about anything else, right? But that's it, dot, dot, dot. Lord, I, we come to God, and we say, me first, right? And, and I'm telling you, that's okay. If that's, if that's you know, where you're at in your prayer life, don't, please don't stop praying or feel guilty or condemned or anything. Because God wants you to bring your petitions, your requests. We're supposed to bring those to God. But Jesus says, look, there's a better way to pray. There's a more effective strategy in the area of prayer to put God first. Jesus' perfect prayer puts God first and then moves to our petitions. And this sets us up to have a real relationship with God. You know, if I had a relationship with Bethany and every single time that I talked to her, the first thing she said was, I need, I need, I need, I need, I would begin to feel that she wasn't really there for me. She was there for something else, right? That our relationship was based on a condition of what I can provide for her. And that relationship would suffer, wouldn't it? If your spouse just came and said, I need, I need, I need, I need. Or what if your spouse always came to you and said, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. Don't you hate me? I'm so bad. I don't like when my wife says, oh, I don't look good today. I'm like, baby, you are fine. <laughs> Come on. Thank you. Can I get an amen? amen. I, don't, I don't want my wife to disparage her appearance. She's not allowed to do that. She's the most beautiful woman in the world, hands down, no debate, right? Men, you deal with that with your wife. On, you, know, you, have, that's how you have to tell her that, right? But for me, this is my wife. She's my treasure. She's my, my, the dearest person, the dearest relationship. She's the one that, that I would die for. She's not allowed to say, oh, I don't look. And no, you do look good because you're my wife. You know what I'm saying? There's worth and value. So what if she always came, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm no good. That's, that's going to hurt our relationship. And yet we come to God and say, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I need. Or God, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. Please don't smite me with lightning. God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Listen, both of those Things have a place in prayer, but don't lead out with that, okay? We start with worship. And what we want to get rid of is kind of these two ideas about God that are incorrect. Number one is what we call Santa Claus God. 
A lot of people think of God as like the big, you know, man upstairs in red and he has a big white beard. And when you pray, then he, you know, drops stuff from heaven on you. If you've been naughty, you know, if you've been nice and not naughty, right? Oh, God, I've been good, so don't you want to give me a promotion? Oh, God, I've been good. Don't you want to give me a car? God, I've been good. God wants to give you gifts, but he's not Santa Claus, right? That really cheapens who God is, doesn't it? If we think of God as Santa Claus. And then the other idea that people have of God is this kind of really angry accountant who's up there, you know, watching you with a microscope from heaven. And when you mess up, he's writing it down. And then when you come to him, he's got a scowl on his face. Oh, it's you again, is it? You know, it's kind of the Ebenezer Scrooge, angry accountant view of God. And, and that's what, when we, when, we, when we just come to God and say, I need, I need, I need, I need, we're saying, you're Santa Claus. When we come to God and we're saying, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, we're saying, oh, he's an angry accountant. And God's not those, either of those things. God is a loving father. So does God believe in, and, and care about justice and, and wanting us to be righteous and holy? Yes, absolutely. So our sin matters to God. Does God want to bless us and give us things? Absolutely, just like a loving father. But I'm not Santa Claus or an angry accountant to my children. I'm a father. It's a very different thing, isn't it? Care about them very much, but I want a relationship with my children. It's not just give me I need or I'm so bad. And so this, the order of this prayer, worship, okay, the will of God, our welfare, and then warfare. So we're going to walk through these four things. You with me? All right. Number one, worship. We should always begin our prayer with worship. Always begin our prayer with worship, which is recognizing God for who he is and what he's done. Before we bring petitions, we should bring praise. So when I get into to the shower in the morning, I love to pray in the shower, and I love to you know, get in there and you know, with my rubber ducky and gargle the water and you know, sing and all kinds of stuff and have a good time. Because you're supposed to have fun, right? You're stuck in that little box for a few minutes. You might as well make a fun time of it. I say, God, you are so awesome, Lord. You blow my mind. What an incredible God you are, Lord. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Set apart. You're one of a kind. God, there's nobody like you. And when you begin to praise, right away your problems get smaller because you're recognizing how big God is. Pastor Rick Warren said this. I love it. He says, why should I praise God? Because it gets my focus off myself and onto God so I can talk to him and not at him. How many of you don't like to be talked at Right? I don't like to be talked at. And God doesn't want to be talked at. He wants to talk with us. That's why we start with praise, Pastor Rick says. That's why we start with praise. My focus right away in prayer is not me, my problems, the world, all the things that are wrong. It's right away. It's God, you are worthy. You are holy. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Holy means set apart. It means God is one of a kind. Right? One of a kind. It's just the, the greatest of, of, of all things. And so we begin with worship. And when you begin with worship and praise, your prayer life is going to change. It's going to be powerful. So start with worship. Number two, Jesus says, after our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is drawing our attention to the the reality that the way the world is now is not what God initially intended or what what he will eventually make it. When you look around at the world and see that it's broken, that just means you have eyes. Right? Everybody posts, oh, the world's so broken, I'm such a genius, I can see that it's broken. We all know it's broken because we're all broken people. 
And everything we do, even with the best of intentions, ends up broken. Seeing, the world that, seeing that the world is broken is just one part of the equation. How are we going to fix it is the question that needs to be asked. And, and so Jesus says, look, don't, you don't just see that it's broken. God, I, I recognize that, that there's a way that things are in heaven that's, that's different, that's better, that's, that's how it's supposed to be. And God, let that way, your will, your kingdom, God, where you have what, what you want to get done gets done, let that come here to where we are. Bring your will down and let it be effective in this area where I'm at. After we worship, Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done. And this prayer aligns us with God's purposes, God's plans, which is an incredibly amazing opportunity to say, God, through my prayer, could you get me in alignment with what you want to do in the world? Now, I just want to preach a little bit to you right now. And you don't have to listen, but, I, but you know, please do. I'm deeply saddened by Christians savaging each other on social media right now about all of these political issues that are happening. Now, wherever you land on the political spectrum, you have to deal with that with your faith in Christ and your study of the Scriptures. But I want to tell you right now that the world will know us, that we are Christ's disciples by our love for one another, not speaking about our love for those outside the faith, but actually speaking about our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to encourage us as a church that before we savage somebody else for what we think they're so wrong and we see it so clear, how stupid could they be that they did this or they voted for this person or this or that or whatever we think, go to God in prayer and say, Lord, your will be done. Before you post, pray. And your life will change. I guarantee it. You'll probably post a lot less. Or you might post more, but you'll say better things. Let's stop savaging each other. I hate it when my kids fight. You know, when Jack and Evie, they fight. And they're kind of getting to the age where they start like, it hurts now because they're like both big and solid. It's like a rhino and, you know, Bebop and Rocksteady going at it when they fight. <laughs> what do you think? How do you think God feels when his kids fight? Guys, get along. The world needs Jesus, not our opinions. Lord, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. In my sphere, in our church, God, in my family. You could pray this for a long time. God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come at my job. The people that I, that I lead, the people that I meet with, God, or the people I work for, however it works, God, let your kingdom come. Pastor John Piper said, prayer is not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. And after we pray for the will of God to be done, and align ourselves with his purposes and plans. Jesus says, now you go to the third W, welfare, your welfare, your physical and spiritual welfare. Now, it's interesting that where we often start our prayers with either I need or I'm bad, Jesus puts this as the third item on the agenda. Interesting, isn't it? Worship, God's will, then our welfare. Where we often view prayer, most of us actually only live our entire prayer life at this level of petitionary prayer, asking God for things or confessing sins. Jesus says it's actually the third most important thing in the order of this prayer. Now, when I say that, I want you to know that that doesn't mean it's not important. I mean, Jesus said, look, when you pray, say, God, would you give us our bread, our daily bread? Would you take care of my physical needs for food, for shelter, for provision? God, would you bless us so we can be a blessing? And then, Lord, would you, would you forgive me for my sins? It's important to ask God to, to provide for us and important to ask God for forgiveness. But this comes 
after those other things, but it's very important. Our spiritual need for forgiveness. And, and it, we're told in another part of the scripture that we're not to worry about these things. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. So God doesn't want us to spend time worrying. He wants us to take our needs and the problems that we have and our petitions and what's wrong in the world and all of these things and bring them to God. It says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So Jesus says, look, after you've prayed and worshipped, after you've prayed for God's will, then you come to this aspect of welfare and you say, God, would you provide for my needs? And Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? And he connects it to something powerful here. As I forgive those who've sinned against me. Let me just tell you right now, in your time of prayer, if you're holding on to offenses against someone else, even if they did something wrong, you got to realize that for, you cannot grab hold of the forgiveness that God wants to give you until you let go of the person that you're holding on to. And so you say, well, can't God just you know, do a workaround? No. God said, Jesus spoke to us and said, you pray for forgiveness and forgiveness comes to you as it can get through you. It comes to you as it can get through you. We can't hold on to other people and say, well, I'm offended at this person, but God, would you forgive me for my sins? And Jesus tells really amazing stories about this, and we don't have time to get into it. But as we pray, right in this moment, you know, for a lot of us, we go, God, please forgive me for my sins, and we just blitz out of our prayer time. This is a moment to sit and say, God, is there anyone in my life that owes me a debt? Is there anyone in my life that I have an offense towards that I need to let go of right now. And oftentimes we'll find that our prayer time will kind of sit there because there's like a stuck gear in our life over a person and there's a, there's a work of forgiveness that Jesus wants to do. But let me just tell you that you're never going to be free until you let go. And so saturate, I mean, sit in that moment and say, God, who can I forgive today? Is there anyone in my life? Because your forgiveness comes to me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And then lastly, in this order of prayer, this last W is the word warfare. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Another way that this is phrased in another translation is, Lead us not uh, into, I think I just read that, yeah, lead us not into temptation. I used to think about that and think, I used to think, you know, what, what does this mean? Why would God lead us into temptation? But the sense of what he's saying here is, Lord, don't let me fall into a trap. Don't let me fall into a trap. That's what, he, that's what the sense of this is. And deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Jesus tells us to pray with a mind to the reality of the spiritual battle we are in. So as we pray, we go worship, we go will, we go welfare, but we come to warfare. Our prayer should take into account that we are constantly under attack by the enemy, that we have an enemy, right? There's a spiritual battle going on but that we're also part of the advancing army of God's kingdom. If you encounter spiritual resistance, that means you're taking ground, right? When you, when you find that there's stuff coming up in your life and you go, man, I, don't, I can't really put my finger on why this is going on, oftentimes it's the attack of the enemy because the spiritual world is real. And I know our culture is very naturalistic and physically minded that we don't give attention to the supernatural, but understand that there is a spiritual battle and you're in it whether you like it or not. Well, I'm not even a Christian yet. You're still in the spiritual battle. The enemy still hates you and wants to separate you from God, wants to steal your destiny. And so Jesus says, give, a, give attention that as you finish your prayer here, uh, as in your time of prayer, to give attention to the spiritual battle. Paul says 
In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Remember that. Oh, this person's so stupid. Their politics and they're, they're so stupid. You're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You might think that that person is the problem, but it's not them. They're just another broken person like you. The real battle is not against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. You will still be standing firm. I want to encourage us as a church that before we use our fingers to type something to someone or about someone or about something, that we use our knees and go to where the battle could actually be won to, to, to get on our knees and pray about people and pray for people and pray about situations and say, God, would you move in this situation? There's a real spiritual battle. God, don't let me fall into a trap. Keep me from temptation. Lord, help me not to, to look at something I shouldn't look at. God, help me not to read something I shouldn't read. Help me not to, God, help me at work not to fall into a trap to steal or to cut corners. God, keep my eyes on you. Lord, I know that I'm walking through a war zone. I'm living in a war zone. There's a spiritual battle that's raging on around me. There's an enemy that hates me and wants to steal my destiny. So God, be a shield about me. God, guard my family. A couple weeks ago, or last week actually, last Sunday night, we had a great dream team block party. It was fun. It was great. How many of you had a good time there at the block party that were there? It was awesome. And we went home, and Bethany and I were getting in bed, and I just said, "Hun, let's just pray for, the, for everybody. Because when you have a victory, guess what? The enemy goes, I need a counterattack. So we said, Lord, just guard our church, guard our volunteers, guard the marriages, guard the children. Lord, guard our, our, our properties, our possessions. Lord, guard us, but let, be a shield about us. Lord, we know there's an enemy that wants to attack us. Don't leave this out, guys. It's a serious thing. And Jesus says, think about warfare. Starts with worship. We praise God. We seek his will. We align ourselves. God, you come and have your way in my life, my family, my work. God, then take care of my needs. What a good father you are. You provide for our needs. You give us daily bread. And Lord, forgive me my sins and help me deal with my offenses and forgive those around me. And Lord, I know that I'm in a battle. So Lord, guard me from temptation and deliver me from evil. Because yours is the kingdom and the glory, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our prayer should end with victory. should end with victory that we serve a victorious God. But as we close today, I want to tell you that I gave you four W's, but I left out the very most important part of the Lord's Prayer. You're like, what? I left out the very most important prayer, and it's the second word in this prayer. Our Father. You see, the Lord's Prayer actually doesn't even start with worship. It starts with family. A lot of people think, oh, it's my duty to come and worship God, but actually, you can't even worship God unless you are brought near by the blood of His Son, Jesus. And there's a deeper truth even in the Lord's Prayer than even just looking at the order of the prayer and worship and and will and welfare and warfare. There's this thing that Jesus says, not if, but when you pray, how do you approach God? You come and you say, Father. He's not Santa Claus. He's not an angry accountant. He's Abba, Father. Daddy, Father. In Christ, our sin that has separated us from God 
That gap has been closed, and in Christ, we are brought into the family of God. And so we don't approach as an outsider. We don't begin our prayers as a sinner or as a saint or as anything else. We begin our prayers. Effective prayer starts with the recognition that I am a child of the living God. And Jesus says, this is how you are to pray, Father. This is the start of an effective prayer life. Father, I come before you as your child. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I want to tell you right now today that if you don't get anything else out of this message today, that if you can capture this, that you and I are invited into God's presence, not as second-class citizens, not as slaves, not as uh, servants. We're not invited any other way but as children. Jesus tells a story about a son that goes rogue. It's called the prodigal son, and he leaves his father. But when he finally comes to his senses, he wants to come back to the father. And he says, Father, if I could just serve you, if I could just be a slave in your house, that would be better than what I've been living in this sinful life just out here. And the father says, no, you're my son. The only way you can have a relationship with God is as a son or as a daughter. God does not invite us to come as slaves. He does not invite us to come as servants. The only way that you can come into a relationship with God is as a child. And you have to have the humility to believe in the gospel. I want to tell you right now, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual walk, but every week people come to this place, and for whatever reason, you are drawn by the Spirit of God for this very reason that Jesus wants to give you access to be a child of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and right now today you can put your faith and trust in Him and be a child of God. And all of this opens up to you, all of this wonderful relationship with God, this friendship with God, this this family relationship with God opens up when you put your faith in Jesus. Right now, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey, but I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, that he's, he's, he's put his hand upon your life right now, that you've even been drawn to this moment for such a time as this, and that right now in this moment, God wants to make everything different, everything new in your life. 